Welcome back to the Act Two podcast, a podcast for the real life working screenwriter. I'm Tasha Hugh. And I am Josh Hallman. And as a reminder, Act Two is a network and support group for the everyday working screenwriter, of which this podcast is just one of the things that we do. Thank you for joining us here. Thank you. <laughs> Please remember to subscribe. It's great for us. It's great for you. It's a win-win situation. <laughs> you can also DM us with questions and topic suggestions. We really love it when you just kind of reach out and say hi and uh, let us know what's going on. Yeah. Uh, you can reach out to us at act2writers at gmail.com, which is all spelled out, or on our Instagram and Twitter at act2writers. And I'm also on the things. I'm on Instagram at Story Thursday and Twitter at Tasha 3.0. And I am Joshua Hallman on Twitter. Josh Hallman on Instagram. You know, as I've been getting older, Tasha, mm. I, I don't know if it's my, my Twitter f- handle or what, but more people are calling me Joshua. Oh, really? Yeah. I don't like that. It's a little, it's a little strange. Mm. <laughs> it's like a constant version of Sir or ma'am yeah what if one day you hear me say introduce myself i say (laughs) hi nice to meet you i'm joshua oh it'd be so weird it'd be a different person i know you've crossed over i have crossed over excuse me tasha get out of my way (laughs) is that what joshua is like I don't know. Peeking to Joshua? I don't know who that guy was. I don't I don't know. I don't know. But yeah. You no, was... you could do. You could do Mr. Joshua, which is really cool. <laughs> From Lethal Weapon. <laughs> yes. I, I was uh yeah, I was I was I was a Joshua in, the, in my I'm still a Joshua to my family, but you know. No. Yeah. What if one day on this podcast you were just like, Tasha, today's the day. From now on I am Joshua. Please yeah. call me Joshua. Well, podcast listeners, just wait for that day. <laughs> <laughs> Big news on the podcast. It's riveting content. <laughs> all right, all right, all right. There's a lot to talk about. It's been a busy week. Yeah. And I had a conversation with uh, a college person. My wait, f- <laughs> a college buddy? A friend a college, college? A college acquaintance. I got connected... Okay. To someone, you still know young people? No, no, no. My friend knew someone who was in college. And he said, it's like a family friend. And he mm-hmm. was like, hey, would you talk to him about the film industry? This person has some questions. They're moving out to Los Angeles and they're getting an internship. And I said, yeah, I'll definitely talk with them. What's strange about getting older is not feeling like you should be having these conversations. Because in my brain, I'm like, I just moved out to L.A., like, this is crazy. <laughs> I don't know anything. <laughs> no, I, I don't know. You find a studio apartment on Hollywood. But yeah, so I had this conversation, but a lot of the things we were talking about were really interesting because they were, they were things that I think we take for granted because we know a lot of the things that we currently yeah. know. So I want to talk about some of it in like a fireside chat form. and, and Fireside and chat day. Bring up some topics and see what you would have said as your advice. Okay, it's like a test, but also a fireside chat. Yeah, it's a little bit of everything. But before that, I have a couple of this week's in writing. Okay. My first one. This is this yeah. is like, this is I don't know where I'm going with this, but I watched True Lies just the other day. So did we? Yeah, weird. That's so weird, and obviously classic. And I love True Lies so much, but Incredible. something made me think about True Lies, about like the storytelling in True Lies. And it was the Bill Mm -hmm. Paxton character. Yeah. And for the listeners who haven't seen True Lies, which you should go see True Lies, if you haven't seen it, basically Arnold Schwarzenegger has been lying to his wife. He's a super spy. He finds out that his wife is talking to Bill Paxton and Bill Paxton is pretending to be a super spy. And then they kind of get into it together. And what was really interesting is that the Bill Paxton character is adjacent to what Arnold Schwarzenegger does. Mm-hmm. And I wondered if it was convenient that Bill Paxton just happened to single out Arnold Schwarzenegger's wife. Yeah. And say he was a spy. Yeah. Well, as you were even saying it, I was like, oh yeah, that's super random. Mm-hmm. But you never think about it because 
the reveal that he's a used car salesman <laughs> who's even selling the car, like the spy car that he's driving, is so good that the, the coincidence sort of gets wiped away because it's so sleazy that now you buy yeah. that he would do this whole spy thing. If he was if he was pretending to be a spy but then like went off to be a banker, like that feels more random to me. Interesting. And it, I think it also works because Tom Arnold and Arnold Schwarzenegger, they, like Bill Paxton's reading the newspaper and he's basically saying, hey, did you read the story about the guy on the horse who shot these two people in the hotel the other day? That was me. And right, they're like, right. he's stealing from me. Like he's legitimately like, stealing the story from you. Yeah. And it, and it works. But also, like, do you think you could get away with that now? I, could, I feel like I could see an exec, a studio note saying... This feels too disconnected. No, but here's the thing. It's also super connected to the story because that is the inciting incident that prompts Arnold Schwarzenegger to bring his wife into his world. Because if my wife wants excitement, yeah. I can give her real excitement. That's true. So it is, it is the storytelling device. So it's not just a one-off or something. It's a crazy structure. True lies so and good. it works and it's brilliant. And I thought while I was watching it, I thought it would be interesting to see the movie through the perspective of Jamie Lee Curtis, like the entire mm. time where she learns that her husband is the super spy. That'd be great. Anyway, so that's all. Can I, can I off of that uh, talk about Jurassic Park Dominion? You're damn Since right. we're doing this week's in writing, I've never seen it. Oh, just put that out there. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I've heard people talk about it recently a lot because it's apparently ridiculous. Is this the third one of the recent ones? The most recent one? Oh, yeah. I've seen it like four times. Do you do you like it or is it ridiculous or both? A little bit of both. So one thing, it's interesting in hearing writers talk about it and not having seen it because they're they're pinpointing things that are that seem really just like writer holes. And so one thing I wanted to bring up that I thought was interesting um, was they said that it intros the movie with like explaining mm -hmm. that the big buy-in, if you watch this movie, is that dinosaurs live among us now. That's just the way the world works now. Everyone's chill with it. This is the new status quo. And then the next thing they ask you to buy, because as if that wasn't difficult enough, the next thing they ask you to buy is that there's a scientist who has cloned his daughter. Yeah, that was in the second one. So she's already been cloned. Yeah, we they... learned she's a clone in... When I say the second one, I'm talking about the newest trilogy. The newest? Yeah, so the one, the second one with Chris Pratt. Okay, Jurassic wow. World, Jurassic World... Two. There's Jurassic World, Jurassic World 2, and then Jurassic World 3? What was the second one yeah. called? I can't yeah, even remember. <laughs> I don't know. Kingdom Fall. Kingdom Fall. Okay. Right? There's two in it. Yeah, so, so in Kingdom Fall, there's a clone. But then in Dominion, the third one is when you learn it's a clone, right? There's another news story. Mm -mm. So in Kingdom Fall, you learn she's a clone. That's kind okay. of the big reveal at the end of the movie. Okay. And then in three, the clone is living with Chris Pratt and, and Bryce. Uh, Bryce Dallas Howard. And they're trying to keep her away from anybody because uh, they're like hiding her. So and And they're hiding her because... Correct me if I'm wrong. Again, I haven't seen two or three. She is a clone of a scientist who was one of the original scientists in Jurassic Park. Mm -hmm. And the reason why someone wants to kidnap her is because she has the knowledge somehow inside of her DNA on how to recreate this Jurassic Park experiment. I think so. So my question is, do they really have to go to the lengths of saying I'm cloning a scientist, which is a whole other like sci-fi story that you can make a whole movie off of as an explanation for why someone knows how to do this? Like, is it not enough to have dinosaurs that you have to also introduce a clone from a few decades ago? Yeah, it goes for it. Like, it really goes for it. Even the second one It just one feels like that's it. the first solution you have. It's like, oh, we need someone to want to redo this experiment and like to create danger around like kidnapping a scientist. What if she's a clone? And then that's when Joshua mm. says, that's not a great idea. Like that's too busy. You can't have clones of dinosaurs and have a clone of a person. <laughs> like that's just too much cloning. 
And then you're, it's like, you're right, Joshua. I should, I should find a different, maybe she's just a regular scientist. My point is, is like, it just feels like they may have created too many issues, too many problems for themselves and, and should have simplified certain things. You could say that. Make it feel less ridiculous. Yeah. Yeah. They cloned her. She, there was a clone in Jurassic Park. Uh, she's a clone child. What's crazy about Dominion is it's insane. It is an insane movie. It's tipping mm -hmm. into Fast and Furious territory um, yeah. in the best possible way. I actually, I had I saw it in the theater and then I was watching it at home and I, someone came over and she was so into the movie that she ended up going home and renting it from because uh, she caught it from the middle of the movie. Yeah. She's like, that movie is insane. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> it is insane. Okay, all right, all right. I highly recommend, there's, there's a Jason Bourne sequence in Jurassic World Dominion with Chris Pratt being chased by dinosaurs. Yeah. And I almost clapped. I was that happy. <laughs> <laughs> all right, so it's deliberately gone into like campy Fast and Furious I don't think it deliberately. I don't think it knows it. I mean, it's just what happened. I I, I don't know. I, I have no idea. I would like to talk to uh, Steven Spielberg and ask him uh, where they went with that. But <laughs> <laughs> he's on coming on the pod next week. <laughs> all right. That's all. That's all. That's my this week in writing, I guess. So I have a couple specs out into the world that mm. some that have... Uh, come back into my life that were out of my life for a while and all these things are kind of coming together at the same time. And on a lot of them, I am the last to learn a lot of the information. Yeah. So much so that one of the execs that I talked to that's working on uh, with, with one of my specs, she, was, she almost laughed at it because she was telling me all this information that I should have already known. She said, yeah, uh, you know, writers, I guess, I guess you're always the last to know. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, okay, that's great. And it, 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 it killed me for one. And it made me yeah. realize that I feel like if you write a spec, you should just automatically be a producer on, on your movie. I agree. That's a great idea. Okay. Let's make it happen. But right. Like I honestly, if, if you write something that comes from your brain. Yeah. Okay. Can you make this happen somehow? I mean, I think you can just say, and I'm also producing this. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's but a I th package deal. I think that the comes thing, at a certain level. It probably comes at a certain level, but I mean, like, hey, give it a shot. See what happens. So yeah. It also probably just comes with confidence. That's true. Um, also, you used to be a producer, so it's not like you don't have skills. Used to be. I'm not retired. That's right. You are still producing something for someone. So, I mean, this is a skill that you have, and you can legitimately say that. So I, I don't, I don't see why not the way that some people say, yeah, here I'm selling this, but I'm also directing. The only kind of downside is that potentially a producer will want a script clean, meaning they will want to be the ones who are producing this and ushering this into being because right. A, they get a bigger producer fee. They don't have to split it with you. And B, there's some like creative ownership for them if they're the only producer. And if you're like, I'm also producer, thank you very much. They could be like, yeah, we don't really want Josh meddling in this script that he wrote, <laughs> you know? So like there, there's like a downside that could exist, but you know, not everyone is going to see it as a downside or not everyone is going to say fuck off because of it. Mm -hmm. Okay. And of course, the, the more successful you get, the more that feels like a boon to them because it's like, oh, Josh Hallman also was producing. Yeah. See, guys? See, Universal? Don't you want to buy this movie? Yeah. And his, and his friend, Joshua Hallman. Joshua. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's interesting. Like on Red Sonia, I guess this is part of it this week in writing for me, is finally there's been images um, that the director, MJ Bassett, is posting from set. Looks fucking awesome, And it way. looks so cool. It's so cool to finally see that. And contrast this to the last time we talked about Red Sonia, where I was like, eh, I don't really feel like this is a big moment in my life. Um, now it feels <laughs> like it feels like it's real, you know? And that's that actually is really cool. I find myself, like, checking her Instagram every day, being like, what does she have now? <laughs> um, so it's been fun. But... 
I was also the last to know that they were going into production. At no point have I been invited to go to set on Red Sonia and have texted the producer to, who I have always been friendly with since day one to be like, hey, how's it going? Yeah. Send me pictures from set and I've heard nothing. So you are blocked out of the process in features for a long time. I remember at Universal, we did a movie, a huge movie, and the writers, who are big writers, said, hey, can we go to set? We'd love to go see. I think it was the first, at the time, maybe the first movie that had gotten produced for them, or at least the biggest movie that had gotten produced for them. And they wanted to go on set. And when they go on set, it's like, hey, can, can Universal pay for this? And I remember talking to my boss, and she was like, mm, no. And I'm like, but they're the writers of it. She's like, yeah, but you know, we don't really want them to be there. Wow. So we ended up shipping them over, but like only paying for the bare minimum. Like, no, they do not get business class. Shipping like, what? them? Would you put them on a boat? <laughs> like basically, it felt like I was getting them a cargo boat because I was going to travel. <laughs> like I'm putting them on a cargo ship. <laughs> They'll be there in a month. <laughs> but like, really? You're not going to give them business class? Are you kidding? Like, you're going to give the director business class. You're, you are going to travel their business class. What the fuck did you do for this script? Like, you gave notes that were minimal. Yeah. Like, it's the writers so need to go business class and you need to pay for their hotel. You need to pay for their food and you need to thank them for being on set and gracing you with their movie. <laughs> That's what you need to do. And none of that was done. We wouldn't pay for their wives to go with them and they were only we would only pay for a weekend of a hotel and Jesus. they wanted to stay for longer. Like it was so embarrassing and terrible. And as an assistant, I was like, okay, this is how writers are going to be treated. And turns out that's true <laughs> in features. It's true. Um, a friend of mine uh, was recently telling me a story about how she was on a call. She wrote a studio movie and everyone loved it. Like it's going to make the movie greenlit and go, which is a huge deal. They've been trying to develop this movie forever and she's the one who cracked it. And then as soon as the director gets on the phone, director who has never touched the script, who's never been interested in this project until they read her script. Everyone was like, oh, the director is going to make this movie so amazing. It's mm -hmm. the director's movie. And she was like, wait, what? <laughs> he's, he's like only read the script once and like has minimal thoughts that aren't even going to change what this is. I don't understand. And then there's this just like continual sense of the writer is now secondary. We've, we now have their script yeah. and the writer is no longer a part of this process. And it's interesting because, again, we all know, if the, particularly for this project that was has been in development for like years and, and through a dozen writers, this person cracks it and they're still like, uh, thanks very much. Goodbye. We don't mm. need you anymore. You're not important to the process. And it's very different from television, which is far more writer driven. The writer yeah. dictates everything. and picks the director and picks the cast and is part of the editing process. Like all of it is something a writer handles. So if you're getting into this business and you love movies the way that I love movies, that's what I started with. Just think about those two versions of what a career looks like, I guess. But yeah. I'm going to change that shit. Mark okay, my words. Okay. I'm changing yeah. it. I'm changing this stupid system. It's so dumb. It's so dumb. It's probably, yeah. anyway, it's going to change. I believe in you. Moving on. Okay. The talk that I had. So like I was saying, we covered a ton, a ton of stuff. The main thing that I walked away with, like I wrote down a bunch of these topics and I was like, oh, this is really interesting to talk about on the podcast. So I'm going to throw you, you know, just some, some bullet points or some, some okay. things we talked about. And I want to know what you mm -hmm. think about them and how, how, to, how to do certain things. Okay. One of the things we talked about was entering like screenwriting competitions and mm -hmm. uh, trying to connect with producers and kind of making your own, like doing things on your own. And he had asked me how essentially to avoid scam artists in the mm. entertainment industry. And I was, I was like, yeah, you just know. And, and then that, that was not a good answer. And I actually have been involved with scam artists that I've been... Have you? Yes, that 
uh, it never went far. There wasn't like money exchange, this and that, but I, I kind of sniffed it out pretty early and it was a producer who was basically just trying to get everyone to do like a, a group of people like free work and, and, and was lying about certain things and whatever. So nothing, nothing mm-hmm. happened with it, but I guess one, have you ever encountered a scam artist mm-hmm. and, and how do you avoid scam artists in the entertainment industry? I have never had a, had, have had a, any confrontations with a scam artist. I've heard stories of them. I don't know. I also agree. It's like something you feel, which is not helpful because you don't know anything when you're getting into this business. You don't know how anything is supposed to feel. I think A, trust your gut. Yeah. Um, but B, it's hard because a lot of producers are slimy anyways, even though they're actual real producers. So it's hard to sometimes separate the wheat from the shafts for that reason. Mm-hmm. Something I've learned that I, I still need to be better at, but something I've learned from my manager is to ask producers what your plan is. And that's yeah. something you are absolutely entitled to know. You have my script and or I am working for you. So what is your plan? You have mm-hmm. to have a game plan. As a producer, that's literally their job is to have a game plan. And that might mean um, I'm going to take your script to like five directors just to see what they think. And here's the director's list I'm thinking of. It's transparency I think you're looking for. Game plan could also be, I want to get you writing on a script. I know it's on spec right now, but as soon as you're done, um, let's say, let's even give it a timeline. Can you be done in three to four months? When you're done there and we're ready to go, I wanna take it to five to 10 producers that I really know to see if they wanna come on board. Do they have a plan? <laughs> and is yeah. it a plan that makes sense? And it sucks because when you're young, like every plan sounds exciting, but a lot of scam artists I think will just be super vague about things and always sort of have an excuse for why they don't have information or maybe mm-hmm. even try to make you feel bad about asking questions or not doing free work because everyone does free work. It's like, yeah, but if there's a game plan involved and if yeah. there's an end in sight and, you know, so I don't know. I, what has your experience been with them? Well, first, I think that's really good. Uh, the transparency in the game plan. And I think from a writer's point of view, and I even do this now when I, I don't know, if, I'm sure it sounds like you do this as well. When you're talking to a producer, you're, you're saying, okay, so what are we thinking here? Like what, where are you taking the script? What directors are you sending this out to? Everything you just explained. That is so comforting from a writer's point of view is having that transparency and having that game plan. My experience was just, it was just a sleazy, I don't know if he was a full-on scam artist, but he was definitely just lying, lying, lying to myself and a couple other writers about who he knew, who he could go to. I'm not even sure what his game plan was, but... um, Mm -hmm. And that was really early when I was just getting into things and I got connected through a friend and, you know, you see these shiny opportunities and you think, oh my gosh, this is amazing. There's someone mm-hmm. who wants to read my script and they can send it to people. And usually you just have to figure out if they're lying or not. Fortunately, you can just look on the internet probably now and, and figure out a lot of things. But I think a big part of it is if, if you're, you're new, it's so easy to be afraid to ask questions because you're so grateful like as you're saying that yeah. anyone has read your stuff and that anyone's offering to send you things. If you can somehow put that aside just for a moment when you're talking to this person, if you have a bad feeling about them and, and say, this is great. Um, what's the game plan? What's, what's the plan here? You know, I, maybe you can say like, I'm working on a bunch of other things. My, my time is, you know, I, I need to schedule myself appropriately. Like when, do we want this script to go out? Just start asking details yeah. that that might feel vague. Um, and it's probably going to feel scary to ask those questions because you're like, I'm going to chase them away. They're going to be too scared and and um, think I'm, I'm difficult or something. But just you don't have to be difficult. You're just asking questions that as a writer, professional writer, you are entitled to know and that professional writers would know to ask, which is, you know, yeah, what is the plan? It's, yeah. It's kind of that simple. So I, it's tough because yeah. I was definitely someone who was like, oh my God, yeah, I'll do anything you tell me totally. to. Like, Thank you so much for saying you like my script. Oh, it's one of, there's there's this automatic built-in, like what we were saying, where the writer's the lowest on the totem pole. And, yeah. and there's this built-in power dynamic that I think is that most writers feel. Oh my gosh, yeah, I'll do more revisions. Sure, I'll do this, I'll do that. And 
Um, you forget you have the power and you don't want to come off as, you know, you can get in your own head. You don't want to come off as difficult, but you forget that you do possess that power to say, now nah, I'm good. What are we doing here? Not this. That doesn't make sense to me. You can push back on certain things. The last thing that I said to this guy that just needs to be mentioned is to never pay anybody for anything, right. which is just needs to be said. I know everyone probably yeah. already knows this, but like management agents, stuff like that, unless you're being hosted on the blacklist or submitting to a you know, reputable uh, film competition or screenwriting competition, then just don't pay for yeah. shit. No, no one. Producers and managers will not ask for money up front. Same with agents. They all get money after you get money. Mm -hmm. So at no point is it okay for them to ask you for money. Next thing, Tasha. Yeah. Creating your brand. Yeah. Something we've talked about before. Yes. This writer, he was still young, obviously, had a ton of ideas. Big ideas, smaller ideas. And I was saying maybe narrow in on a few that so they kind of overlap in the Venn diagram of yeah. who you are. And what would be your piece of advice to uh, create your own brand? This is such a good question. And I, we, I think we'll continue to talk about it because it is such a good question. So when I was in college, we didn't have conversations like this about brand. Mm -hmm. And I think even if we did, I might have been like, Fuck you. I don't have a brand. Totally. I am Tasha. That's my brand. I will do whatever I want. And I love all kinds of things. And so when I graduated, my two main scripts were a Western with a bounty hunter who was of mixed race. Um, so it was a revenge drama, maybe, with some action in it. And then I had a 1930s romantic comedy. <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> about a butler who falls in love with her boss, I guess. Very different. I submitted them both to festivals. They did really well in festivals. Um, I have never touched a romantic comedy since, though I loved writing it. It was really fun. And I never like specifically said, okay, now I'm only going to focus on my brand. There was never a point in my career where, where I did that. But I remember very specifically, I met with a manager the first manager I ever met with in this business. So it was very much that moment of like, oh my God, this guy likes my script. Yeah. He really genuinely works in this industry. This is my first industry meeting. It's incredible. Be cool, Tasha, be cool. <laughs> <laughs> and like, and he, he said off of this revenge Western that I had, he thought that the way he could sell me as a manager is a female action writer. And I could be like a, a that's my brand as an action writer. And I was like, that's cool. And that sounded exciting the way he pitched it to me. But ultimately I was like, but I don't just like action. Like yeah. I love fantasy and I love sci-fi and magic and like all these other crazy things that doesn't fit in that. And ultimately I didn't like that he was packaging me in such a small space, I guess. And so I ultimately didn't go with him. And I mean, my advice is to do what you love, but also understand that it is confusing if I have a romantic comedy script out there and also a rated R revenge Western. Mm -hmm. And ultimately, I just started finding myself loving stories that were more in the rated R action genre space. And so I just started writing more in that in that place. And so those were the jobs that I was getting. At any moment, I can say, you know what? I'm tired of that. I want to go into rom-coms and I can write a new rom-com and that could be my new sample. Mm -hmm. And I could start embarking on a rom-com career if that's what I really want. But I think it's very confusing for the, the world out there, the market out there. If Josh Hallman writes a rom-com and then goes and writes a really hard R john wick movie yeah and both of those specs go out and universal gets both of them and they're like wait what does he do exactly <laughs> what is his passion what is he going to do well on if i hire him to write this rom-com does he actually like rom-coms right or is he just writing this because he wants a paycheck because this other john wick thing is also really good it's just i know that that's <laughs> weird that that's confusing but it is confusing and again jordan peele is a great example of how you can do multiple things but if you He's like dedicating himself to this path right now. So I don't know if that's an answer or if it's walking around an answer. No, no, no. I think that's an answer. I, I, I mean, we've talked about this before. I personally think it's important to define yourself early 
and you can kind of do what you want after that as long as you're successful at the first thing. I think that's right. I think that's exactly right. And I think early on, you feel like I need a sample in everything. Yeah. And that's actually not what you need. That's, that's, I know it sounds logical, but that's not true. You don't need to show that you do everything. And we've talked about this during our conversations about general meetings, but when you go in to meet a producer or a director or a studio executive, anyone, and you have a general meeting with them and they ask you, what do you like to write? Your answer that will fail you out of the general <laughs> is I like to write everything, rom-coms, indie movies, uh, big action movies. I could write the next Jurassic Park or I could write the next Little Miss Sunshine. That does not help that producer who's trying to find a job for you. Yeah. Because they have no idea what to give you now. They have no idea what you're good at. They just think maybe like your skills are spread out a bunch around a bunch of things and maybe you're just not good at any of them then. It's very confusing. However, if I am meeting with you and you say, I love genre movies, big action sequences that are really driven by a strong female character who has uh, trauma in her past that gets over it through like, actually what's what's ironic about this whole thing, if you have the more specificity you add to what you love, like the stories, the types of stories you love to tell, the more that producer is going to be like, I know exactly who you are and that is awesome. And I know exactly the job for you. Um, and then again, if you want to change courses, you can. That's the beauty of being a writer that I think a not a lot of other people in our industry have is I can then go write a rom-com if I want to and change my career path because that's our power. What an answer. i fired <laughs> up right now. All right. The next thing, we talked about original ideas and how important is IP, intellectual property. And... As a writer, mm-hmm. you know, how important is IP? Yeah. But how do you get IP? This is a tough one. It's a tough <laughs> one when you're coming up. It's so tough. Imagine, imagine being on a Zoom having this conversation. <laughs> being like, oh. ooh, I don't have any answers for you, man. But let me... <laughs> <laughs> like, I'm exhausted just from hearing no, your question. No, no, no. It, it, it was... It was <laughs> And I'm exhausted because like this was years of trying to understand this. And so that's where the exhaustion comes from. It's so hard. So I wrote a script very early in my career called Where the Sidewalk Ends, which was based on, in my brain, the Shel Silverstein poem, which I did not have the rights to and didn't give a shit. I sent it out. The highest it ever got was Disney, which was so cool. First studio I ever met with. Pretty high. Pretty high. And they loved the concept. And we're like, well, we don't have the rights to Shell Silverstein. And so the only way this could ever get made was if we got the rights to the Shell Silverstein poem. Mm. And so they actually went to the Shell Silverstein estate and tried to get those rights and just didn't work out. So without that, the project died. So I would be careful of writing something based on IP that you do not have the rights to, unless it's just a thing in name. Like I could have changed the name of that to where Bob meets Joe. Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) And, And then just did a pass on taking out anything that really alluded to the IP. As long as like the the, the heart and the structure and the characters all remained the same. If I felt like I could do that, then that's worth doing if I can't get the IP. So just beware, like that's, that's a path that can happen. Another thing is I do think when you come up, you see all this IP being made and you're like, well, how do I get Jurassic Park? Like that's impossible for me right now. There's no way that's going to happen. And that's true. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but like read short stories, read books that people are missing that aren't the super popular ones, but that are still really good. And something that you can do is email those authors and tell them how much you love it. Tell them what you would love to do with it. Would they mind giving you a shopping agreement? Mm -hmm. And a shopping agreement means, say, for 12 months or 10 months, 
they are giving you the rights to their short story or their novel or their poem or their graphic novel for you to, within that 10 months, try to sell it. So they're saying, here, Josh, you can have it. No one else can have it but you for the next 10 months. But by that 10-month marker, you need to have sold this pitch or this script, this adaptation of my work. So that's that's great. That's a way for you to have IP and often for free. Often you can you can not offer them money because the idea is when I sell this, you'll get money then. Um, or sometimes it's a little bit of money, you know? Yeah. I mean, you can even you can even be honest with them. It's like, I don't have a lot of money to spend um, $500. I know that's a lot, but whatever you can afford if they want something. So that's another option that's available to you. That's what I did yeah. in, famously that I ended up getting the job for. Uh, but it's just a shot in the dark at the time. I have another friend who does this constantly. He he always adapts IP and it's always a short story that nobody's paying attention to. And he has sold these then to Warner Brothers, to Lionsgate, to big, big places. So that's another option for you. Or write the original that's awesome. Yeah. Write the John Wick that's awesome. But I think the caveat there is don't do what I did with Where the Sidewalk Ends, which was like a $200 million fantasy movie. <laughs> write something small. John Wick is small. It's just a guy going to small places, yeah. a club, a mechanic shop and his house and and killing people. That's it. Um, write something small that can be affordable because that's something that a producer who has never heard of you as a writer, you're not famous yet, and it's not an IP, so that's extra risky. It doesn't have a built-in audience. So if I'm going to risk however much money on your project. And even then it's still gonna be maybe $5 million. That's still yeah. a lot of money. If I'm gonna risk $5 million on you, it has to be small and affordable and worth the risk. So those would be my advice. Having written a huge genre movie as one of my first scripts, not a good idea. Tasha has spoken, moving on. <laughs> There's two more. One's okay. gonna be real quick right now. Yeah. How important are log lines? Important. Okay. Always have one. Always have a log line. And always make it short. Do not give me a paragraph log line. Give me one to two sentences max. Oh, wow. I would say a general, you, you say this is short, but my answers are always <laughs> long. I would say a general rule of thumb for log lines is like when something happens, then this happens. Yeah. <laughs> it's funny. I think a lot about this. And a lot of times before I even start writing a spec, I'm like, okay, what's the log line? And if the log, if it sucks, then I'm like, the spec sucks. Like, I can't <laughs> even... <laughs> it's really weird. I get really hung up on them. Sometimes your log line can clarify for you what your story is actually about if you're struggling. Yeah. Often, sure. even with Dave, I'll send him things, ideas, and I'm like, okay, here's the log line. He's like, yeah, that's cool. But like, what's the second half? Like, what, what happens? Totally. You know, a, a super spy learns that his wife is having an affair. Mm -hmm. You're like, okay, cool. Well, what's the other part to that? And, yeah, that's you know, half an idea. That's half. How does he react to his exactly. wife having an affair is now the second part of that. What? Go. No, now I like that movie. I'm a, like Superman finds out his wife's having an affair and then burns down the world. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Holy shit. It's <laughs> a reconcile. Like there's, there's trying to get Superman and, and Lois Lane back together. <laughs> or he goes on an eat, pray, love journey. Either way, either one's a movie. <laughs> <laughs> I actually like that. Um, all right, last one. Are you ready? Yeah. Also something we've kind of touched on the podcast in the past, but bring it mm -hmm. up one more time. You're young. You're, you're clawing. You're fighting. You're writing in your dorm room. Yeah. A little hungover. Maybe you don't go out one night because you want to write. You just risked it all, just staying in. You missed out on a good party. Yeah. That's all to say. <laughs> <laughs> sorry, I was, project I was projecting. I was projecting. Flash into Josh's <laughs> past. <laughs> sorry, sorry. Um, how do you make your own opportunities? Oh, God. I just got sick to my stomach. <laughs> <laughs> It's so hard, you guys. This is what's so hard. Um, 
I mean, for me, it was applying to the Nichols Fellowship. It was applying to the Sundance Labs. It was applying to all of those things that were sort of higher level named contests and programs Mm -hmm. to get any kind of notoriety. Meaning if you win those or you get into the semifinals of those, then you end up on a on a short list that's sent off to young managers and agents in town and they will likely read your script and then you'll start taking meetings. So that was very key. Fuck. Um, our writers group was very key in allowing me to make opportunities because mm, you guys right. all new people because you were also clawing your way to the top so you would meet someone and say hey tasha you should meet this person or hey person you should meet tasha so those were happening yeah it's tough it is tough what's so crazy is that there are it seems like there are an endless amount of ways to kind of create your own opportunities but at the Mm -hmm. same time there's not what I mean by that is, yeah, you know, you can post on the blacklist, you can submit to competitions, you can reach out to people on Twitter, uh, you can go something on screenwriting Reddit, which I'm unfamiliar with, but I'm sure there's opportunities th- through there, or there's blind emails. But then at- it just kind of like falls off after that. But yeah, it's just strange because I feel like we probably have really random stories of how certain things have happened where you're like, yeah, I met so-and-so cause I just happened to go get a Boba iced tea and they had a dog that I really liked. So I started to pet this dog and then this was a producer and now I sent him my script and I'm writing the next James Bond. Yeah. It's just weird how shit works. <sighs> it's so weird. And I'm trying to put myself back into my college place where I was and how I was making opportunities and I remember being so scared because it's like, you have you have no inroad. And I would go to all the things that our college would put on where they would bring in producers that had finally made it. Mm-hmm. And they would talk. And I'd be like, if I could only just pull this producer aside for five minutes after their yeah. panel, maybe I could just strike up a conversation enough for them, interest them enough in me that they'll ask for my script. And that never happened. Yeah. And it can happen, but it just that never happened for me. I think it really was contests which got me read by people who wanted to meet me. And very early on, um, getting a manager, unfortunately, was a huge, huge part of that. Because what that does is suddenly a shit ton of other doors are open. And they may be really low-level producers because the first manager you get might be someone who is really young themselves. And so their network is not as high-profile possibly because Mm -hmm. they are also younger. So, but that's fine because now you're finally getting into the system, right? I meet Josh, who's a producer and he liked my stuff and he's going to say, Hey, Dave, who is a friend of mine and also a producer, like you should read the script. You should check it out. It's a new writer I just found. And so now suddenly like you're just, you're in the, this like bottom tier of people who are finally reading you, you're getting practice at these meetings and then you're starting to move up that way. That's kind of how it felt. And a big piece of my puzzle at least was working in the industry because A, it gives you some clout when you're meeting with people. They take you more seriously if you're say cold emailing someone to uh, a producer say to read your script if I say, hey, I am an assistant on Supergirl, the TV show, and <laughs> here's my script, and someone would be like, oh, okay, that person already has some level of skill or is clearly working hard to be in this industry if they've gotten so far as to be an assistant on this TV show. So working in the industry became hugely important for me, even if it was an internship. And then also, by the way, internships are great. You can especially in college, because now there's a rule that you have to have college credit for these internships. Get every internship you possibly can. And everywhere you go, ask if you can meet with people. Like, I had an internship at the small production company. It was Wolfgang Peterson's company. And the exec there was so kind that she would always invite me into the writer meetings that she had, the writer generals. So it was great. I got to 
see what it was like to meet in a general. And that was fantastic. She also asked for my notes on things. So I got to sit in on notes meetings and give notes and get that feel. Wow. But also it was like, is there anyone you can introduce me to? Is there anyone um, that I can meet as an up and coming writer? Like just ask your, your bosses and you work for them for free. So yeah, they should be giving you some of that. So just building, it's a, t- it takes a long time, I think is why I felt exhausted by the question. <laughs> no, no, no. I, I understand. And maybe there's a better, maybe we're just, I don't know. You were, you were very industrious. I feel like you were far more industrious and aggressive than I was and continue to be. So I don't know if you have better answers. <laughs> no, that's, that, that's, that's pretty good. I used, um, YouTube to my benefit yeah. as well. And, and, um, yeah, yeah, no, I think what you said is great. You just have to just keep going. Just keep pushing through, and I, I think a job in the industry is great. And just whatever resource you have, if you can, you know, just just use every resource you have. I guess. <laughs> what yeah. an answer! That's I know, it. It's a terrible answer. I guess if you hear that answer and you want more specifics, that might help us figure out which experiences we can kind of hone in yeah. on that might help you as well. But hopefully, that's at least generally helpful. That's it, Tasha. That's all I got. <sighs> Whew. Yeah, it's tough. Getting into this business is tough. That's oh my for god, sure. it's yeah. so scary. But that's why we do this podcast is to try and try and help in ways that we didn't have help. <laughs> no, for sure. That's why I felt this was so important. Is because yeah. we don't want to be the podcast that doesn't talk about these certain things. That's no, why, the, like you just said, that's why the podcast was created. Yeah, I feel like I'm going to lose sleep over this question. Yeah, I think I am too. It's the beauty and the, like the, the appeal and the scariest thing of the entertainment world is there's no correct path to That's anything. what's so scary. I hated that so much. As someone who was like an A student yeah. when I got here and there was a moment in my career where I was like, I'm quitting this TV assistant job because... Well, I didn't quit. The show got canceled. And so I came a crossroads. Do I stay in Los Angeles and try to find another low-paying assistant job? Or do I go back to Boston, which wow. is where my boyfriend at the time was living, and write from there? And no one could give me a direct answer. And I was like, how? Like, if you just tell me what I need to do, yeah. I will do it. But no one could tell me what I needed to do. Well, <laughs> and Tasha. so you just have to pick. As a C plus student, <laughs> you would have advised me to stay. You would have said, "Why would you leave Los yeah. Angeles?" Yeah, that's and the you problem. Been with right, following this curriculum and doing things like having a test at the end of the week and knowing the answers and all this stuff, you just have to fly by the seat of your pants, fail a little bit, get good grades another time, and then just fall on that middle ground. Underachieved. That's your advice <laughs> on this podcast. <laughs> B minus student. B minus. Anyway, that's all I got. That's it. Can I wrap up with, I guess it's a this week in writing that should have gone at the top. Absolutely. New freaking format. Let's go. Okay. <laughs> so we got an email from a listener, Jess, who asked about pitching on a rewrite. And their question was, do you do the campfire story version of a pitch if it's a rewrite? Which feels a little weird because it's acting as if they've never even heard of the material at all when, of course, they're hiring you to rewrite the material. Or do you start your pitch with a little bit of a preamble about what you liked and what you didn't like and what you're going to keep, but what you change? Or do you do some combination of both? And it was a Great question because rewrite pitches can be confusing, but my personal feeling, and it's not that people have, have ha, people have succeeded by not doing this, but I have found the most success in just straight up doing the campfire story version, no matter what. The reason being, I have many, many times come on to adapt a book, for example, and I thought, well, I will start my pitch with saying what I liked about the book and what I didn't like about the book. And part of that was a little bit of ego because I was like, 
I'm going to show how smart I am mm -hmm. by telling them what I didn't like and why it's not working. And that's going to prove to them that I have some ability to understand story and what works and what doesn't work. And logically, that sounds like that makes sense. But at the end of the day, they have bought this book because they love it and they want to adapt it. And they also know something is wrong with it. So you don't need to tell them that. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you don't need to tell them this is why your book sucks. There's just, it doesn't add anything because as you pitch and you take out the love story bit, cause it's stupid in the book, they're going to understand that you've taken out the love story bit. You don't have to preamble and say, I'm taking out the love story bit. And here's my pitch about taking out the love story. You don't need to do it. So I say, save everyone time because it's also not interesting. It's not engaging at the beginning of a pitch. If Josh just sits here and tells me all the things he likes and doesn't like about the book, I'm going to understand that inherently when he pitches me his story. And I'm going to also understand that like I watch a movie and I'm engaged in a movie because I'm brought into the world as he's telling me this campfire story. I'm going to like the things he likes and I'm going to not like the things he didn't like. Right. Or I'm going to not even miss the things he took out. Right. Mm -hmm. Because he's telling this really great campfire story. So I think get rid of it entirely. But at the top with your preamble, Stay away from the negative things, but you can say very, very, very short. I'm talking like two small paragraphs maximum at the top of your pitch. Say like, I really, really loved this book because it really hit home with my relationship with my own mother. And this is what I bring to this in my personal experience or um, something I have I have lived through that I will bring to this that no one else can. It's talking about like your fire for this and why you're unique. That's the preamble. Even if it's a rewrite, doesn't matter. And then go into your campfire story. So that is my this week in writing answer to a question that we got at the emails. I love it. Okay. We're, we're done. We're done. Quote of the day. Quote of the day. Don't try to preach something to your audience. Rather, give them situations and let them decide for themselves. Martin Scorsese, which is applicable to what I just said about campfire stories. Okay, please remember to rate and subscribe. Follow us at Act Two Writers for more awesome writing stuff. You can follow me, Tasha, at Story Thursday on Instagram or on Twitter at Tasha 3.0. I am Joshua Hallman on Twitter, Josh Hallman on Instagram. And as always, the Act 2 podcast is a production of Act 2, a network and support group for the everyday working screenwriter. This episode was edited by Paul Lundquist, music by 414 Beg, which you can find on Spotify. <laughs> <laughs>